All right, good morning, everybody. Let's find our places. Y'all are having just a little bit too much fun. We got a whole week ahead of us, man. You got to pace yourself. I'm just saying. A lot of good times going on. So um, I am going to attempt something knowing that I will fail. So have just a little bit of grace, okay? This is all, has nothing to do with the message. We're just going to kind of try and get out of the way some introductions because I want our people, First Baptist Church, to be aware of at least some of our guests. So I have a short list of some people I know have arrived, pastors of other churches, and if I miss somebody, first of all, please forgive me or just stand up and shout that you're here, and that'll be okay too. But from Harvest Baptist in Blue Springs, Missouri, we have Dave and Rosie Hill. They're here. Y'all just wave. That'd be all right. And we have... Dave Nebel is over here, so Dave Nebel's with us. And we have Troy Stogsdill somewhere in the house, right there, yep. He's in the house. Um, Huntsville, Alabama, Jay and Allie Shug are over here. Good friend Jay. Go all the way back to Decatur, Alabama together. Uh, Gary Haskell's supposed to be here, and I haven't seen Brother Gary. Is Gary Gary's in the back, right on, man. Northeast Pennsylvania. Um, John and Larry, John and Larry Romero, New Mexico, Santa Fe, New Mexico. Fantastic. I saw Pastor Brian Hedges, um, just hugged his neck. He's in the back. And I think you have uh, Pastor Pradeep with you, do you not? And he came all the way from India. So he wins the, he wins the prize. Farthest traveled. Free t-shirt for you, brother. For sure, man. Um, Greg X, who's also going to be teaching. He's right here and, uh, in the morning. So Pastor Brian will be teaching. Greg X will be teaching in the mornings. The Trotters are in the house. Where are they at? Somewhere. I don't even know. They're in the middle. They're there. Mark and Sherry. Praise the Lord for that. Man, it's going to be great. They're, he's going to be up, teeing it up tonight. So that'll be fun. Um, somebody who, who came in and I didn't know you were here, Please don't be embarrassed. If you would like to introduce yourself, we just want to welcome you. Pastors that have come from out of town, anybody? I did not get everybody, but thank you for being kind. <laughs> so that's awesome. And uh, listen, there will be many others coming in. A lot of the pastors are coming in um, this evening. They're preaching in their churches, and they'll be traveling. They'll be here tonight and tomorrow and that sort of thing. And listen, church, this is just an opportunity to show them some good old T-County love, Right? And just let them know, man, what we're all about. So if you're not friendly, they're going to think we're all not friendly. But if we're friendly, they're going to think we're all friendly. So we get the chance to do that. We're so glad that you guys came to just uh, bring your, your, your time, your, your spirit, uh, your encouragement. Um, I hope for you that have come from far away, really enjoy the time and are refreshed. Our, our goal for you, with the exception of these three guys we're putting to work, <laughs> is to just relax and enjoy and learn and really have a good time doing that. I hope it's refreshing to you. I hope it's encouraging to you. We, we expect nothing of you other than to just be recharged, and I hope that that, that, that happens for you. Um, okay, we're going to start our Bible study. We're going to start the conference this morning. We're going to be in the book of Revelation, so open to Revelation chapter 1. And as you're opening to Revelation chapter 1, I'm just going to go ahead and pray, and we'll focus our hearts on this time. Father God, as we come before you, Lord, we... Stand in awe of our audience, and that audience is you. 
We offer all of these things to you. Our time of worship was sweet, and thank you, Lord, for, for inhabiting the praises of your people. And I know, Lord, that you inhabit your holy word, and it is opened before us, and we are looking into the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would take your word, you would reveal it to us in a way that would be new and fresh, and for anyone here who needs to make a a personal decision, whether to surrender to you in salvation, whether to surrender to you in getting back on track and serving and walking in the Spirit, and whatever that is, Lord, you can take your word and apply it to each of us exactly as we need it. I pray that we would respond in a way that's honoring to you. We came here expecting, and we thank you in advance for what you're going to deliver. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, man, this is it. We are here. This is our annual Bible conference, the Certainty Conference, and as Matt said, the subject is prophecy, and you know, that is an interesting subject. It is always seemingly some sort of a current event. It seems like every time there's a tornado or a hurricane or something, I mean, everybody thinks the end is near, and people are always interested in whatever's coming out in the future, right? I mean, everybody loves this subject, right? Well, I don't know. You might be surprised that there actually are some who might object to study in this subject. I know it's surprising. Uh, Some people might say something like this, why bother studying prophecy? It doesn't affect me now, right? Tons of people are wasting their lives, and you know what? They've all been wrong. Leave the future to God. I'm cool with whatever he lays out. Maybe you've heard somebody say that. Well, my response to that would be, well, how can anything that God chose to reveal to you ever be a waste of your time? And what God chose to reveal to you, by the way, the scripture makes very clear, is for our good always. Remember that last verse in the Gospel of John, John 21, 25, and it says, There are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. The idea being that God did not choose to give us a comprehensive account. It would be impossible. He's an eternal God. The Word of God is His very soul. It would be an eternal amount of books. This world couldn't even contain it. That means that when He chose to write what He wrote, He chose exactly what He knew we need. This is an important subject, especially when they deal with what we will see is the theme of the entire Bible, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And most of our Bible is prophetic. Most of our Bible is prophetic. Yet there's still others that might object by saying, well, you can't know all that stuff ahead of time. And I might respond that, well, the Bible says that that's actually not accurate. There are deeper things from the Word of God that actually can be known. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man, the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. And the scoffer would say, see, I told you. And I would say, yes, keep reading. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Some people often quote Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. Yes, keep reading. But those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. 
So the study of prophetic things, the study of the deeper things, is not just some cerebral exercise. It is ridiculously practical that we may do the things that God has commanded us to do. Our God, of course, can tell us about the future because he knows it all. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. We call this the certainty conference, not the lucky guess conference. Uh, We didn't schedule the My Opinion Conference because God tells us in Proverbs 22, 20, and 21, Have not I written to thee excellent things and counsels and knowledge that I might make thee know the certainty of the words of truth that thou mightest answer the words of truth to them that send unto thee? We can be sure When God speaks, when his spirit reveals, when he gives it to us, we can know that it's true. And I'm just telling you this week, we're going to know some things. We're going to understand some things. Yet some continue to say things like, well, doctrine divides. Let's just love each other. I mean, unity is more important than doctrine. By the way, that is kind of a worldwide current movement of the Antichrist to make all the religions one with no doctrinal compass. But the Bible tells us that true biblical unity is the unity of the faith, it says in Ephesians. And in Amos chapter 3, we can't have true unity if we don't agree. Listen, don't kid yourself, man. If you don't agree with somebody, you are not united with that person on that point. You're not. So it's our duty to study So 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us the primary purpose that the scriptures are inspired and given to us is for doctrine. That's what it's given for. So it's our duty to study. And let me just tell you something. This subject, prophecy, it matters to God. It matters. And we'll see why. And you know what? It ought to matter to you too. It really ought to matter to you too. So this is Bible study week. That's what we're going to do. That's what we do around here. So I hope you're ready. We're going to do a little bit of work. And if by chance you can't be with us for all the sessions, they will be uploaded eventually online and you can follow that way. But man, please try and make the time to join us. We're in the book of Revelation. Uh, We're going to start in chapter number one. I'm going to read the first nine verses. This is our text for this morning. Revelation chapter one, starting in verse number one. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you in peace from him which is and which was, and which is to come, 
from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And we're going to stop right there because tomorrow morning we're going to start with verse number 10. So we're going to stop right there. And what we are going to see, and the title I've given this message is, The Threefold Revelation of Jesus Christ. The Threefold Revelation of Jesus Christ. So let's start with the first application. Point number one in your notes. The particular revelation of Jesus Christ. The first three verses. It starts by saying, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I propose unto you this morning that that carries three specific, distinct, parallel meanings. And that's what we're going to see. Meaning number one, the revelation of the prophecy of Jesus Christ. What we will see as we walk through this, that there is a dual application. Yes, there will be an application to the Jewish people. It will have a context of the tribulation going forward. It also has a direct application to the church, as we see in verse number 4. John, to the seven churches, right? So we're going to see both of these things. As much of the scriptures do, it has a dual application. And what we see here in the, in the very first verses is that there is a chain of custody, of this information. In the first verse, we see that God gave it unto Jesus Christ, who then gave it unto John. And in verse 4, John gives it unto us, parts of the church of Jesus Christ. That's what John did in verse number 2, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all the things that he saw. John was an eyewitness to these things. And so John is the one who personally witnessed not just these things about the future as God transports him into the future and gives him a snapshot. John also lived his life physically with Jesus Christ as he refers to in 1 John chapter 1 and the first three verses. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard and we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested and we have seen it and here's what he does, and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. Why? That ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So this chain of custody carries the revelation from God the Father to God the Son to this Apostle John, which is now recorded and sent to us. So this tells us what is revealed. This first portion, this first meaning of the term, the revelation of Jesus Christ, is informational. It's the revelation 
that Jesus Christ gives to us. Jesus Christ is revealing some things to us. It is the revelation of the prophecy of Jesus Christ that tells us what is revealed. It says in verse number one, things that must shortly come to pass. So those things is all the info, all the stuff we're going to be studying this week. And they are regarding the end. And it says that must shortly come to pass. And the skeptic says, see, he wrote that 2,000 years ago and it hasn't come to pass yet. Yeah, well, you don't understand what the word shortly means in the context because it doesn't mean it's happening tomorrow or the next day. It means that when it happens, it's going to happen all of a sudden. Once it starts, it won't be long until it's all over. That's what it means. In fact, if you did a cross-reference to Luke 18, 8, the word that is translated shortly in Revelation 1 is translated speedily. So the idea is once it gets started, man, it's, it's coming. Hang on. But the only thing that's actually revealed in these verses, so we'll stick to our script today, is verse number 3, the revelation of blessings. And I want to spend just a minute here because this is very important to me. It should be very important to you. I want to be blessed. You came here because you want to be blessed. And so the blessings are given out, and there's three specific blessings. The first is the blessing of observation. The blessing of observation because many will read the Word of God. So you're here, and we're doing that. Congratulations. <laughs> it's a good start, but it's just a start. So blessed are they that read, right? So that's the blessing of observation. But the second one is the blessing of understanding because not all, but some of those who read will actually hear what God is saying unto them. That's the important thing. Check out how important this point is to the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 19 and verse 41 says this, And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they're hid from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee round, and keep thee in on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another." There's judgment coming on Israel and Jerusalem. Why? Because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. This blessing of understanding is critically important. We need to know what is coming. Why? So that we can enter into the peace and not into the judgment. So that we can prepare for that day that's coming. He doesn't leave us in darkness. He reveals to us. It is his revelation to us. He's emotional about it. It says that he wept. Now, you Bible students know there's only two times in the Bible that, the, that it describes specifically Jesus weeps. This time, and the, the issue with Lazarus. In both cases, the common denominator is not just how much he loves people. The common denominator is he's broken over the fact that his people don't understand and don't believe what he is saying to them. They're hearing the words, but it's not getting through. Because thou knewest not the time, and he uses this term of thy visitation. What exactly is that? Well, that is the day that God comes to visit them. 
It's the day the Lord returns to judge. It's the theme of the Bible. And it's defined for us, as in many places, in Exodus 32 and verse 34. Therefore now go, lead the people unto the place of which I have spoken unto thee. Behold, mine angel shall go before thee. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. He says, look, you better get ready, because that day's coming. Jesus is emotional about this thing. Uh, Conversely, there is only one time in all the Bible that the Bible records that Jesus rejoiced. You know that? The Bible only explicitly says Jesus rejoiced one time. That's in Luke chapter 10 and verse 21. What's the context there? Luke 10, 21. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. Do you realize that God kind of has a policy statement on his revelation? And his policy statement kind of goes like this, that he resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. That's what James 4 says, right? I mean, that's how God operates. The wise and the prudent in this world, those people that think they know it all, Jesus, y'all, rejoices in the fact God ain't given nothing to them. And you know what? Those of us who would just be like little children, like babes, that would just be simple and humble and sincere and willing to believe whatever our daddy tells us, He says, I rejoice to reveal to you all of these truths. So there's a blessing promised for understanding. And do you realize what that means to all of us today? This is in your notes. The study and understanding of the Scripture is not primarily an intellectual exercise. It's a moral one. That was pretty good. I'm going to say that again. It's not, understanding this book and understanding the things that are yet to come is not primarily an intellectual exercise. It's a moral one. You have to make a moral decision of submission to the author of the scriptures or you're not getting anything. You can have the highest IQ in the room and you can read the words, but you're never really going to get the goods if your heart's not right. So you know what my question is to all of us today? Which kind of person are you intending to be this week? Are you going to be like an innocent, trusting, believing child of God? Or are you going to smugly sit wise in your own eyes? Because you know what? That attitude is going to be what determines what you get from the Lord out of all this information that we're going to give you. Listen, if... The Jews would have known those things. They could have done something about it. They could have repented. They could have prevented the judgment coming on them. So there's one last blessing, and I'm calling it the blessing of action. The blessing of action. So few, then, will be those who actually obey what is commanded them, that actually keep the words of the sayings of this book. 
Jesus again in Luke 13, 34 and 35, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killeth the prophets and stonest them that are set unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings. He so wanted to gather them, but ye would not. You wouldn't listen. You wouldn't understand, and you would not respond. So verse 35, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And verily I say unto you, you shall not see me until the time come when you shall say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. The revelation of Jesus Christ reveals particularly what God wants us to know. So the question is, will you learn and act on whatever God will show you this week? You can make that decision right now. Will you determine that you will learn and you will act on whatever God shows you this week. Because verse 3 ends with, for the time is at hand. It is drawing near, ever nearer. The prophecy of the end certainly has a Jewish application. There's plenty of time to study those things. But John also writes this to seven churches. And that's the next point I want to see in your notes. The personal revelation of Jesus Christ, the personal revelation. So John starts with a common greeting that is sent to the churches frequently, grace and peace unto you. Every one of Paul's epistles has that greeting, grace and peace unto you. Both of Peter's epistles have that greeting, grace and peace unto you. First John has that greeting, the book of Revelation has that greeting. And the greeting notice comes from, and this is important as we'll get to later, the entire Trinity, the entire Godhead, from the Father. It says, from Him which is and which was and which is to come. He's eternal. And from the Spirit, referred to in this case as the seven spirits before the Lord. And lastly, and from Jesus Christ. So meaning number two, we have this threefold understanding of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Meaning number two is the revelation of the person of Jesus Christ, which tells us who is going to be revealed. The revelation of Jesus Christ can mean Jesus Christ is going to reveal some stuff to us. The revelation of Jesus Christ also means, hey, Jesus Christ is going to be revealed. <laughs> Jesus Christ is going to be revealed. Who is this Jesus anyway? Well, in the text, we see he's introduced three specific ways. First, he's called the faithful witness. And the faithful witness, I'm just going to say that that's precise. It means that he's precise. In other words, whatever he tells us, especially about future stuff, right, must be true. It must be true. Uh, everybody has a favorite Bible verse or two or whatever, but one of the ones that I love and I go back to frequently because it's so meaningful is John chapter 14 and the first two verses. And it's not the thing that you might think it is. John 14, 1 and 2, Jesus says to his disciples, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And everybody likes to talk about, is it mansions? Is it really mansions? Well, that's what he said. But here's what I want you to see. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. If it weren't so, if it were different than the way I'm saying it is, I would have said it different. I want you to know. 
He is the faithful witness, especially about future things. I go to prepare a place for you, right? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and take. Okay, so we know that he's talking about things that are laid up for us in the future. And he is the faithful witness. He is going to tell us whatever he's going to tell us. The revelation of Jesus Christ reveals to us what he's going to tell us. The revelation of Jesus Christ also reveals to us who exactly is this Jesus Christ. He's the faithful witness. He's precise. Letter B, he's the first begotten from the dead. Well, he's prophetic. 1 Peter 1.3 also says to, that we also are begotten from the dead. But just think about it this way. He's again talking about future things. He's the first, that's who he is. He was the first one to be begotten from the dead and to go on to live forevermore. He's talking about giving us an understanding of what comes after this physical life. They're future things. They're prophetic things. And the third thing we learn about him is that he's the prince of the kings of the earth. Well, that's political. So it's more than just spiritual. It's more than just how I think it should be. It's more than just, you know, my private relationship with... No, he is coming to rule as king of kings and lord of lords. It will have political implications. And can I just say, as kindly as I know how, the current world government leaders would do well to take heed to the revelation of Jesus Christ as they're making their decisions about how they will lead their nations because he will return to judge all nations, not just individuals not just individuals. That's who he is. He is the faithful witness. He is the first begotten from the dead. He is the prince of the kings of the earth. And he has done three significant things for us. And this is a very church-centric application. First thing he did, he loved us, man. He loved us when he came and died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. John 3, 16, he so loved us. Man, he came and he did that for us, right? Uh, Romans 5, 8, he so proved how much he loved us. While we were his enemies, he came and died for us. He loved us in that he offers to us the free gift of eternal life. Man. That's what he does. The next thing he does is he washed us from our sins in his own blood. Well, that is for everyone who has responded to the gift offer. Everyone who has received the offer. He loved us in making the offer. He washes us when we receive it, right? And it, can I just say, if you have yet to fully surrender your heart and life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, if you have yet to ask him, for complete and total forgiveness of your sins and to come into your life and give you the gift of eternal life, you are not yet washed from your sins in his blood. But you can be right now. Just call on him. You really can. He loved us. He washed us. And lastly, he made us kings and priests. That deals with our rewards in the millennium to rule and reign with him for a thousand years and into eternity. And he rewarded us even now 
post-salvation in our ministries on this earth to serve as priests and intercessors, to go before the throne and to cry out names of people before him and to intercede to the people as ambassadors for the ministry of reconciliation. That's who he is. That's what he does. He loved us. He washed us. He made us kings and priests. Kind of lines up with the blessings to read and to hear and to keep the word of God, does it not? This revelation of Jesus Christ reveals who Jesus really is. Can I ask you, do you really know him? Do you really know him? Because you can say, I know him in salvation, and most all of us, I would say, praise the Lord, you have made that decision already. You know that you have trusted him for salvation. You know him in salvation. But do you really know him like your best friend? Do you know what makes him tick? You know what grieves his heart? You know the things that he thinks about when he's not necessarily talking? Do you understand how he feels about these issues? Do you know the things that he loves and the things that he hates? And do you also love and hate the things that he loves and hates? Do you really know who he is intimately, personally, in his existence as the second person of the Godhead? The revelation of Jesus Christ reveals to us who he is. Do you want to know him? You've got to pay attention to the revelation. Our last point, number three, the physical revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse number seven. Behold, he cometh. Stop there. Behold, he cometh. There is a moment, yet future, when Jesus Christ splits the skies and he is revealed, the revelation of Jesus Christ bodily back on planet earth. So the third meaning, the revelation of Jesus Christ, he's revealing to us some information. The revelation of Jesus Christ, he's revealing to us who he really is. And the third meaning, the revelation of the very presence of Jesus Christ physically returning so that every eye can see. That's what we're going to be talking about all week. The coming of Jesus Christ, the theme of the Bible, the Lord's day, the greatest day on God's calendar is not the day of the crucifixion. That might be my favorite day because without that, none of us would be here, right? But that's not the day God's excited about. The day that the world of sinful creation beat and mocked and spit on his glorious son. He's waiting for that day that he returns in glory and gets his rightful charge as the king of kings and the lord of lords. He's not returning anymore to be spit on and beat on. He's not returning anymore to be the one who can just be mocked and ridiculed. When he returns again, he's taken over. He's taken over. That's the day he's coming for. That's the thing we're studying. That's what you need to know about. Well, there's a couple of issues that we're going to look at in that. And the first is, when will he be revealed? When is that going to happen? I mean, that's what everybody wants to know, right? Well, it wasn't two Saturdays ago. <laughs> I mean, I was hoping it would have been, but, you know, I still made my house payment. I mean... 
When's it going to be revealed? And so a lot of people will run to Matthew 24, 36. But of that day and hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. See, look, we are wasting our time. You can't possibly know. And somebody who studies yet a little further stumbles across Acts chapter 1 and verses 6 and 7. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, Jesus, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. You can't know. The disciples at the time of the resurrection of Christ right before his ascension could not possibly have not only not known the day and the hour, they could not possibly have known even the times and the seasons. But something changed. <laughs> because in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the revelation through the Apostle Paul says, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you, for notice yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Something changed since the ascension of Jesus Christ and through the book of Acts until the establishment of the New Testament Gentile church through the Apostle Paul and the revelation is being completed through the epistles that now the church can actually be aware of and know never the day and the hour, but the times and the seasons. So the return of the Lord is likened unto a woman in travail with child. And you know the physical picture, right? So when the woman is getting out there eight months and one week, eight months and two weeks, and she may not know the exact day, and she certainly will not know the exact hour when that child is going to come. But can I say, like John says in Revelation 1, Behold, he cometh. <laughs> I mean, you can feel bad like you want out of this deal, ladies, but you, I mean, behold. <laughs> The physical presence of your child is about to appear. And that's what we're talking about, the physical presence of the Lord Jesus Christ appearing. Notice again, Luke chapter 12, 54, and he said also to the people, when you see a cloud rise out of the west, straightway you say, there cometh a shower. And so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say, there will be heat. And it cometh to pass. Ye hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that ye do not discern this time? Yea, and why even of yourselves judge ye not what is right? When will he be revealed? Physically. Well, he'll be revealed when the time's right. And we can learn a lot about when the times are right. It is soon. It is soon. The other thing it tells us in Revelation chapter 1 is not just when he'll be revealed, but how. How will he be revealed? How will he be revealed? Well, the first way is visibly. As we saw, we, he will be literally revealed visibly. It says he'll be revealed when, behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. We'll go back to Acts chapter 1. Verse number 9, Jesus Christ about to ascend into heaven. He says, and when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up. 
and a cloud received him out of, his, out of their sight. He cometh, behold, there you have it, a cloud, there you have it. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, they literally saw him ascend up into the clouds. Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go up into heaven. So they beheld, and with their own eyes, they saw him go up into the clouds. And when he returns again, behold, every eye will see him come again with clouds. The physical, personal, bodily revelation of Jesus Christ. Back to Matthew 24 and verse 30. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Every eye shall see him. His return will be visible. It'll be visible by all. But it's not going to be a blessing for all. It's not going to be a blessing for all. Because the other way that he's returning, not just visibly, he's returning mightily. Mightily. Matthew 24, 30 says he'll, he's coming in the clouds of heaven with power. With power. Back in Revelation 1, it says that he cometh with clouds and every eye shall see him and they also which pierced him. And all the kindreds of the earth shall wail and cry. They that pierced him. You ever think about that dilemma? I mean, who really killed Jesus Christ? Was it the Jews? Was it the Romans? I mean, who was it that killed Jesus Christ? Was it you and I? The answer to that is, yes, all of those. It was the Jews who turned him over and rejected everything that he said, and they turned him over to the Roman government who actually carried out the issue of the crucifixion. But he died not because anybody can take his life. He says, I lay it down willingly. No man takes my life from me. He laid it down willingly because of my sin and your sin. Who crucified Jesus? All the unbelievers. That's who crucified him. They pierced him. They also which pierced him. And all the kindreds of the earth that shall wail because of the judgment that's coming on them. And he ends that verse saying, even so, this isn't great news. Even so, so be it. Amen. Although it'll be devastating this world has never seen what it's going to see john through the inspiration of the holy spirit says even so it must be so so be it notice how he's presented briefly in verse number eight alpha and omega beginning and ending which is and was and is to come the Almighty. The context is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
the terminology is reserved for the Father. Isn't that interesting? So which is it? Well, it's both. Because Jesus and the Father truly are one. Isn't that what John chapter 10 says? I and the Father are one. You remember Isaiah 9, 6, that verse we love to quote around Christmas time, right? Unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And then it starts listing all the names of who he is, you know, wonderful counselor. Everlasting Father. Have you ever noticed that? The child, the son, is the father. The father is the child, is the son. You say, that's weird. No, it's revealed. That's what it is. It's accurate. He's a trinity. He's a Godhead. That's who he is. It's the deity of Jesus Christ. And he's the Almighty. That term, the Almighty God, appears ten times in your Bible. Ten times. Nine of them in the book of Revelation. Nine. Because when he returns bodily, he returns in might. He returns in power. No more lowly Galilean. No more mocking and beating and spitting and persecuting. No more. Verse 9, I, John, who also am your brother, Christian, and companion in tribulation, Jew, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And my question to you is this. What are you willing to endure for the testimony of Jesus Christ? John was silenced. The other apostles, the stories of whom you can read in books like Fox's Book of Martyrs and other places and how they were tortured and and beaten and punished and crucified themselves and beheaded and all the terrible ways that they were treated for their faith and following of this rebel leader, the Lord Jesus Christ. I told you it was political. And they put them all to death. John got exiled to a remote island off the coast of Turkey. And he was put there to shut him up so that he would no longer continue to reveal the truth of God. But you know what God did, don't you? God gave John the revelation of Jesus Christ, even while in exile. John suffered as a result of his stand for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. What are you willing to endure for the testimony of Jesus Christ? When people around you, friends, peers, co-workers, family will mock you, ostracize you, to silence you so that you will not continue to propagate the testimony of Jesus Christ. John says, this is what happened to me. And God still used me. Now that term, the testimony of Jesus Christ, we saw it in verse number two. We see it in verse number nine. I want to kind of tie it together to you, with you from Revelation 19 and verse number 10. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said to, unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. 
For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Think about that for a second. I want you to see what he's trying to tell us. What does that mean? The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. We have a prophecy conference. Remember back in verse number five, Jesus Christ is defined as, among other things, the faithful witness. That means that his testimony is true. His revelation, which is the word of God, is his testimony. He's testifying of things that he has seen and things that he has heard. And all the things that he has seen and he has heard that need to be testified are yet future. They're prophetic. So the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. It's future. Why is it that we have the revelation of Jesus Christ? Well, he's foretelling events of the end. He's the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet. He's the beginning and the ending. And what the book of Revelation is telling us is what we read in Isaiah 46, the end from the beginning. That's what he's doing. That is the revelation of Jesus Christ, particularly the informational revelation. But personally, we get to see much closer who he really is, even now, even for our lives today and tomorrow when we go to work and the day after that. And this is the last thought I want to leave you with. Listen, y'all, you can't really know Jesus if you don't know prophecy. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying you can't be saved if you don't understand prophecy. I'm not saying that. You can be saved with simple faith in his death, burial, and resurrection. But my Christian friends, if you want to know him as your very best friend, to know how he thinks, to know how he feels, if you want to know what he's focused on, if you want to know what he's doing in the world today, not just in your lives, you have to understand prophecy. Because it is the spirit of prophecy, the testimony of Jesus Christ. If you don't understand the events of the end, you will not understand what is happening now. And this is the foolishness that we see all around us every day, where people see things happen in the world and immediately ascribe it all to God. And it may have nothing whatsoever to do with God. But you can understand and you can discern and you can know the signs and the seasons and the times. You can see where we're at. You can see where he's moving because there are real markers. And that's what we're going to be studying. Listen, we got a lot lined up for you this week, but please, y'all, we are going to wrap this up. Please do not leave this room without considering your heart and your life before the Lord right now. 
For some of you, it truly could be now or never. Because it is coming. There for sure is coming a day. And it is soon. And when it comes, it'll come without warning. And when it does, it'll come speedily. And when it has come, it will be too late. It will be too late. What would the Lord have you to do? Let's pray together. And if you would bow your heads and close your eyes, I want to ask you a couple of questions.